You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, He's Returning, is part three of the series, Begin with the End in Mind, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Well, wonderful time of worship today that we've had. Thank you so much to uh, our choir, all of our instrumentalists today. And uh, Pastor Scott, it's good to have you back from the Philippines and uh, glad uh, for what the Lord did there. Uh, Why don't you share just a couple things at the end of the service, will you? Uh, that uh, we can rejoice with you about. Uh, And thank you again for being here today. At this point, I want to ask you to please find in your Bible, Matthew chapter 24. Uh, We're beginning this year in this section of Matthew 24 and 25, where the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples about what is coming in the future and how it all ends. And so we're calling this Begin with the End in Mind. We're learning from this and beginning this year by thinking about the end. And uh, I would say to you that it really does matter. This is important because it really does matter what you think about the future and how you think about the future. I've shared this with you before that uh, there are two basic ways that you can view the future. Uh, The first way is the way that most people in our world look at the future, and that is uh, the future is something that is unknown, and it's, in fact, unknowable. Nobody is in charge. Uh, There's no telling how all of this is going to turn out. In fact, if you listen to the predictions of people who talk about the climate and geopolitical issues of our day, you'd have to conclude uh, the outlook is not good for the human race. And so because of that, many people look at the future as something that because it is unknown, uh, it's something that we should fear and something that we dread and it's very unsettling. But on the other hand, the Lord Jesus teaches us to look at the future as something that is not unknown because it is known by God. The future, Jesus teaches us, is ruled and controlled by God. God has a plan for how all of this is unfolding under his sovereign direction. He has a destination in mind for where humanity is headed. He's already written the end of the story. And so he controls the future. And with that perspective, uh, we're going to be able to live in the present day with with a great deal of confidence and with more clarity And with increasing hope for what the Lord has for us in the future. Uh, I want to read just why that is important. How we look at the future. Uh, Before we get to Matthew 24. uh, Let me read this section of uh, the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God, this is Titus 2.11, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And thank God for his salvation that that we enjoy. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. 
Now, someone may say, how is that even possible to live uh, with clarity and, and to live a godly, righteous life today with all of the evil around us and all of the influences that are pulling us in different directions with all that's going on in the world around us, how can we possibly live godly in this present age? And here is how. It says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how. We have hope for the future. We have hope for our lives today. And we have clarity in uh, where we're going and and what all this is about and what is important and what's not uh, because of this blessed hope that we have that Jesus is returning. Now, uh, let's go back to Matthew 24. Uh, This is so very important. We're taking our time going through this chapter and uh, uh, we've made our way through verse 28, about halfway through. And so uh, let's pick up in verse 29. And uh, again, we're diving right into the deep end. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse 29. Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now, learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Uh, So I've told you before that uh, when you're reading prophecy, uh, God gives us information, facts on a need-to-know basis. And uh, apparently there's a lot we don't need to know because there are some things that the Lord does not tell us here. But what we do know, uh, we need to pay attention to and learn from. And so today, just from those few verses that we've read, uh, I want to talk about uh, a few things that are revealed here uh, about the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. The first thing is the timing of his return. In verse 29, Jesus gives us the timing of his return when he says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the Son of Man will appear. Now, uh, we know the timing is he's coming immediately after the tribulation. What did Jesus already tell us in this chapter about this seven-year period of time called the Great Tribulation? Well, he's already told us it's going to be a time of great deception when uh, there will be a lot of false teachers, Satan working through them to deceive as many people as possible so they do not turn to Christ 
for salvation. A time of great deception. Jesus also indicated that it's going to be a time of unparalleled chaos and distress and death in the world. It will seem as though sin is just running wild and unrestrained during the time of the tribulation. Now, uh, there are other ways to understand this. The way that I understand it is that the church, meaning all Christians, living or dead, will have already been raptured out of the world, taken out of the world, home to be with the Lord uh, before the tribulation takes place. We also believe from Scripture that Satan, during that seven-year period of time, will have been allowed unrestrained freedom in one last attempt to deceive as many people as possible and to rob Jesus of his glory as Lord and King. Uh, He will be unsuccessful, but it will be his last uh, uh, desperate attempt. Uh, We also know that during the time of the tribulation, Satan will work through an emergent political leader known as the Antichrist, and through him... Satan will succeed at killing every Jew and Christian that he can lay his hands on. Now, we don't have time to go into many of the other things we know about the Great Tribulation. uh, But I will say that during this time, Scripture indicates that many Jews will be saved. In fact, 144,000 of them, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, will be saved and then sent out as evangelists to uh, share the gospel with the whole world. Encourage people that our Messiah has come and you'd better turn to him and get right. Uh, So all of this is going on in the tribulation, but then all of it will suddenly stop as Jesus returns to the earth. Uh, But when exactly is that going to happen? Uh, What we know is that Jesus said in verse 29, he's going to return immediately after the tribulation. But he gives us another hint about the timing uh, of his return in verses 32, 33, and 34. Uh, If you look at those three verses in your Bible, verse 32 through 34, just know that there are entire books that have been written on those three verses. And a lot of uh, good, godly Christian scholars have looked at that and uh, and, uh, using those three verses have discussed ways you can pinpoint the date that Jesus is going to return. And so here's how the discussion goes. Verse 32 is the parable of the fig tree. And Jesus said, uh, using the example of a fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth Leaves, you will know that summer is near. Uh, So uh, sometimes this is interpreted to mean that the nation of Israel is that fig tree. And and when that fig tree, which has been dormant, begins to show life, that tree begins to leaf out, that that has actually already happened to Israel when in 1948 the United Nations voted... Uh, that officially there is a Jewish state in Israel once again. Uh, And so uh, that, it is said, is the leafing out of the fig tree in this new life 
the reformed nation of Israel. So then if you add that to what it says in verse 34, that this generation that has seen that will by no means pass away until all these things are completed, then you could conclude that Jesus is going to return in the lifetime of those who were alive to see the state of Israel reformed in 1948. Wow, that means that some in this room who are 75 years old right now will be alive to see Jesus return. That could be correct. I certainly hope it's correct. But if it is correct, it'll have to happen very quickly because these 1948 babies aren't getting any younger. I hope it's what it means. If that's not what it means, it at least means that those who were alive when the tribulation begins are going to see the appearing of Jesus when he returns, at least those who survive it. Whatever the case, I think on this point, the timing of his return, we ought to focus on verse 33. Because in verse 33, uh, Jesus said, when you see all these things happen, what things? Well, all that Jesus has already been talking about, the, the great tribulation, all of these signs, the birth pangs coming upon the earth. When you see all these things happen, he said the end is near. In other words, I think that's an indication this is a package deal. That when these signs are fulfilled, they will all be fulfilled all at once in the order that Jesus has given them. And that's how we will know, according to verse 33, that Jesus is at the door with his hand on the doorknob, ready to open up a brand new age and bring to a close this age of, of mankind's rebellion and sin against God. So this is the timing of his return. It's all we know. Uh, but in verse 29, Jesus informs us also about the introduction of his return. The introduction of his return. Watch this. At the end of the great tribulation... As an, as an introduction to the actual second coming of Jesus, Jesus talks about the most reliable fixtures in the natural world being disrupted in frightening ways. We're talking about the rotation of the earth that gives the appearance of sunrise and sunset, the phases of the moon, the the tides of the oceans, the things by which we can literally set our clocks and, and determine the dates on our calendar are all going to be disrupted in frightening ways. Look at this again in verse 29. Jesus said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And he says, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. So uh, what does this mean? I, I think it can only mean that uh, just before the coming of Jesus, as an introduction that he is on the way, uh, there will be things happen that will, uh, are, they're sure to leave physicists and astronomers absolutely dumbfounded. Sunrise, sunset, phases of the moon will not occur 
on a regular schedule as they always have since the beginning of creation. Unexplainable and horrifying eclipses will be seen all around the world. Something like massive meteor showers will will be seen by everyone. Uh, The light of the stars will inexplicably just disappear. And, And everyone in the world will notice that. People will literally be scared to death when these things happen, according to Luke's record of this sermon. Uh, Let me read from that, Luke 21, beginning in verse 25. Uh, There Jesus said, uh, There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. They won't know what's going on. The sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts, listen to this, men's hearts failing them from fear. And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now to what degree those heavenly disturbances are to be taken literally or Or symbolically, I don't really know. I just know that God will make sure that the attention of everyone in the world will be directed upward to the sky. Everyone in the world will be looking up toward heaven, wondering why the lights went out, wondering what it all means. And then, like the dimming of the lights before a show begins, Jesus is going to appear in all of his glory. So let's talk about the glory of his return. Uh, we've gotten a sense of the timing of his return. And uh, the introduction with all of these signs going on of his return. Now the glory of his return. In verse 30, Jesus said at that point, the sign of the Son of Man will appear. This is, I think, the sudden appearance of Jesus Christ back to the earth. Uh, I don't even think the word sudden is even really the right word here because apparently it's going to happen much faster than suddenly. You say, what do you mean? Well, uh, back in verse 27, uh, Jesus said, as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Like lightning. You know about lightning, Lightning strikes when there's a storm. Jesus is going to return into a stormy world of political and economic chaos and bring peace. You know that lightning occurs very quickly. Lightning does not slowly make its way down from the sky. It strikes as fast as lightning. That's why we say that. Because nothing is faster. Uh, lightning usually travels, if I remember from science class back in the day, lightning usually travels from cloud to ground and then back up at, at a, such a, a fast rate that uh, they calculated that speed from ground back to the sky to be one ten thousandth of a second. I don't know about you, but that's a, a speed I can barely wrap my mind around. His coming will be that quick. And then we know that lightning 
possesses awesome power. In the split second that lightning flashes, the air in that lightning channel is heated to 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit. That causes a, a, a sonic wave that's audible that we call thunder. And it indicates the power of that discharge of electric energy. The energy, they say, the energy discharged by a single strike of lightning is enough to lift a two-ton weight like your SUV 64 miles straight up in the air. Uh, that is powerful. And in the same way, when Jesus returns, he's going to return quickly and with great power. Now, you mark it down. When Jesus returns, he's not going to come the same way he did the first time. What we celebrated last month at Christmas. It's going to be much different. The first time Jesus came, he came slowly, taking nine months to develop in his mother's womb. 30 years before he introduced himself uh, to those outside of his own hometown. The first time he came slowly, when Jesus comes again, it's going to be quickly as fast as lightning. The first time he came, he came small and humble and newborn. The next time he comes, he's going to come as the all-powerful, glorious King of Kings. The first time Jesus came, he came as the Lamb of God to bear the sin of the world. The next time he comes, he's going to come back as the Lion of Judah to judge the sin of the world. I have to read this for you. Uh, because Revelation 19, verse 11 through 16, uh, gives us a, a, a picture of that scene as Jesus suddenly, powerfully, and gloriously appears in his second coming. Uh, so let me read Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. You're going to like this. Uh, the Bible says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. I believe that's all the believers, all the saints of heaven. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus, when he returns to this earth, is going to return in great power and majesty and glory. Now, after he defeats the Antichrist and his armies at the Battle of Armageddon, uh, I remember uh, standing there, uh, seeing that place in Israel where that's going to happen. It's going to happen very rapidly. Jesus will easily, quickly defeat uh, those forces. After that, the first order of business for Jesus, it seems, 
is to do something that has never been done before. And that is to assemble his complete church for the first time ever. All of the saints who descend with him from heaven, those saved before the tribulation, along with all of those who have been saved during the tribulation, including many Jews. Verse 31 says, Jesus is going to dispatch angels with the sound of a trumpet. They're going to gather all believers from everywhere. Imagine this scene, that we're going to be gathered together with Christians from every nation, every age. We're all going to be united in the presence of Jesus, assembled for the very first time as the completed bride of Christ. And Jesus says, after all these things, look, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And so Jesus is returning. There's a new day dawning, and we have his word on it, and his word never fails. Wow. Uh, so let me, uh, let me conclude with this question. And the question is, Pastor, why preach this? I mean, you may be thinking, Pastor, please. I mean, you've even admitted you don't know everything you're talking about here. There are a lot of question marks here. And besides that, when you think of everything going on in the world today and, and the challenges in our own nation, all of these challenges to morality and, and identity and all the rest. And then there are the issues in our own community that somebody needs to talk about. And then on top of that, the personal struggles that we all deal with. Someone may say, Pastor, why would you not begin the year talking about those things that will actually help us? Why preach this now, fair question. And I want to give you an answer, but to answer that question, I need to call on someone, another preacher, who was actually there when Jesus said these words for the first time. I'm talking about the disciple known as Simon Peter. Uh, and so let's read what he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. Will you go with me there? We're going to end with this. 2 Peter chapter 3. And let's get some perspective on why a pastor like me would preach something like this with all of the other things that need to be addressed going on in our world. Okay? So here, here are some answers for us. 2 Peter 3.10, he's talking about all of these things. He said, but the day of the Lord, that is the second coming of Christ, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And then he says this. It's a question. Listen. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be 
in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So, so what he's saying is, look, we know what this world is coming to. We know that when Christ returns, the world system that we live in now with all of the governments and the economies and the societies and, and, and all of the sin that's been infused into the world and done so much damage, we know that all of this is coming to an end. And it's going to be replaced by the rule of King Jesus and the kingdom of God. And, and Peter indicates just knowing that has an effect on us. First of all, it corrects our priorities. Uh, Peter asked the question in verse 11, knowing all these things are coming to an end, what manner of person ought you to be? How should you, you live your life? And he, and he says, in holy conduct and godliness, uh, looking for the coming of the Lord. Uh, so it has the effect, just knowing it, of correcting our priorities. Here's the thing. Knowing what we know about the future as Christians and what's really going to matter in the end, we can't, we can't live our lives for selfish pleasure or for accumulating things that are just going to pass away someday. Our priorities are different knowing what we know. Uh, our priorities become things that will last forever, things that matter most to Jesus. And so we focus our lives on pleasing Him and pointing others to Him. Our lives become something that's not self-centered, but instead Christ-centered, and we begin to do things that invest in His work in the world. Our priorities are just different than the rest of the world because of what we know. Now, along the way, we have a lot of fun. Christians ought to have more fun than anybody in the world because of all that we've been delivered from and, and what we've been assured of and all that we have in Christ. We have fun and we enjoy life and we make good memories, but we live with different priorities than the rest of the world. As Christians, knowing what we know about the future, we, we give our money to things that don't make sense on your accountant's spreadsheet. Uh, we act in ways. We, we behave in ways. We do things that don't make any sense to the world around us. Why? Because we have different priorities that transcend this present life. And we're living for different goals. And just knowing this, Peter says, has this effect of, of correcting our priorities. And, and we ask that question that he asks every day. What kind of person should I be knowing what I know? And we adjust. Uh, and then second, just knowing this increases our hope. That's, that's why I'm, I'm preaching this. Look, look what he says in verse 13. He writes, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. In other words, knowing what we know, listen, we look forward to what's coming. 
We look forward to the things that Jesus has planned. We live with hope. And so no matter what happens around us, no matter who gets elected or doesn't get elected, no matter what the Congress does, no matter what the economy does, no matter what Hollywood does, we as Christians live with a sense of joy and hope and expectation about the future because we know how it's all going to turn out. And we know this. Think about what this does when this is on your mind. We know that in the end, Jesus returns, sin is defeated, Satan is conquered, creation is restored, and the future belongs to Christ and his people. And so the closer we get to that day, our hope just increases. It may look bad now, but we remind each other, hey, Jesus is coming back. And things may seem out of control in the world now, but we remind each other, Jesus controls the future like he does in this present day. And so we have a great deal of hope. Our hope is increasing the more this is on our minds. That's why I'm preaching it. Uh, One last thing, and that is, uh, according to verse 17 and 18, knowing what we know about the future stimulates our growth. I mean, we, we want to we know Jesus more. We want to follow him more closely. We want to love him more deeply. We want to serve him more effectively. Uh, and with all the assurances we have, we're stimulated to grow. Look at verse 17. He says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. We want to stay close to Jesus so that we're not fooled. But he says in verse 18, instead grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. We're encouraged knowing what we know to grow in our faith so that we're stronger in serving the Lord. And I love how that book of the Bible ends in verse 18. To him be glory, to Jesus be glory, both now and forever, amen. You know what? As Christians, we are now and forever people. We live now in light of what's going to happen then. We work now to bring as many people into his kingdom so that they enjoy heaven with us then. We live to please the Lord now so that then we're not ashamed at his coming. And, and, and this corrects our priorities. It increases our hope and causes us to want to know him and to love him more. Jesus is coming back. And we need to talk about it more because of what it means for our perspective. All right, let's stand together. And would you join me in a time of prayer and um, And we're going to have a time of commitment as we we sing in a moment. Our pastors are going to be standing here uh, ready to pray with anyone who may come. It could be that today uh, you would say, you know what? Thinking about all this, I'm not ready for the coming of the Lord. I, I, I don't know where I stand with Him. Or you may say, you know, I know that I'm lost in my sin. I need to be saved. 
uh, in a moment as we begin to, to pray and then to sing. I want to invite you to come and our pastors are going to be standing here ready to pray with you and to help you and to lead you to faith in Jesus Christ. We'd love to have the chance to do that today. Um, so uh, that's one response. Another is this. It could be that uh, you're already saved. But can I tell you, going through this section of Scripture has made me look at my priorities in my life and, and make some adjustments. That There are some things that bother me that won't matter in eternity. There are some things that uh, capture my imagination won't make a bit of difference when Jesus comes back. And I, I want to I be more lean and mean when it comes to serving Him. Amen? And so uh, that could be your uh, decision as well. There's some things we need to stop doing. There's some things we may need to start doing in light of what we know and what's coming. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word, for teaching us today. Uh, I may not have gotten it all right, but Lord, I, I pray that You've taken my words and used them to just impart truth to someone's heart, someone that needs to hear it. I pray if there's someone here today who is not ready for the coming of the Lord, that today would be the day they get it settled and they get saved. Lord, for those of us who are looking forward to this time, I pray that we'd be motivated today to live in such a way that we're expecting you to come, we're eager for you to come, and we're working hard to bring others with us. Help us, Lord, to adjust our priorities to align with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.